Good morning again for those of you in the house today, in God's house, and those watching online want to welcome you. Um, hey, you ever had one of those weeks? Well, probably not if you're not a preacher like me or Joe or RJ, but when you, when you, you just kind of, you have this week and you know you're up to preach, and then finally in the end when you, you, you prepared your message, you did all your due diligence, all that, and you kind of think, man, it's kind of boring. That's the way I was thinking. Like, like, still, I battle with that. It's like, this is kind of a boring message. You're just going to have to hear it. I'm sorry. but. And then, you know, then when we're in worship, right? And then when we're worship, like, that's the devil talking. You know, it's like, wait a minute. God's word is living. It is active. You're going to get something out of it. So one thing you got out of it, I don't care what it is. Just get one thing out of this. Boring message. Um, the... That's the dynamic. That's the struggle that, that, that preachers have. I don't know, Joe. Can you agree with that? Just say amen. Uh, he didn't say amen. You know. What I, uh, all right. So if you've been um, keeping up with us in January through this Bible reading plan called Bible Recap, then you are just about to finish the Old Testament. Well done. I don't know how you got through Leviticus in the first chapter of Numbers. I don't know how you got through 1 Kings and 1 Chronicles and saying, didn't I just read this? I don't know, but 39 books like, are, are, are done almost. And now we're going to transition into the New Testament. 27 more books to go before the end of the year. You guys can do this. And that's just been, uh, I hope that you've seen as you read through the Old Testament that you saw Jesus foreshadowed in so many different ways in the Old Testament. If, if you haven't, then it's our job in the next couple of weeks, few weeks, to just say, hey, how do we see Jesus in, in this whole book in, in the Old Testament and the New Testament? And is this God the same God that we just sang about in these, these books? That's what we're going to be talking about. But Jesus foreshadowed in, in the Old Testament. I love the way uh, uh, St. Augustine, if some of you say it that way, you can say it Augustine too, but St. Augustine said it so eloquently and poetically. He said this, in the Old Testament, the new is concealed. In the New Testament, the old is revealed. I mean, that's such a, a, a great dynamic. Just the way he said it, it is so true. Concealed, meaning hidden. Hidden in the Old Testament, the true stories like Moses and priests like Aaron and Levi and prophets and kings like David and Solomon. All, all, all these prophets, they all point to Jesus who is king overall. So, Jesus is prophet, one that's greater than Moses. Jesus, Jesus is greater than, than Aaron and Levi in the priesthood of Israel. And then he is also king. And I love, uh, as you read the New Testament in the first book in the gospel, uh, not the first book, but in the first gospels, John, uh, Pilate there, right? Pilate who he's talking to and who has this earthly ator uh, authority to condemn him and crucify him. He said, so he asked Jesus, so you are a king? And Jesus' response, I think, astounds me every time I hear it. I mean, right there, point blank in John 18, 37, or 37, he says, You are right in saying I am a king. For this reason I was born, and for this reason I've come into the world, you're right. I mean, who says that? The guy, Jesus, right? The guy that, that rose from the dead. That's who said it. You're right in saying, I am a king. In the New Testament, Jesus then is clearly revealed, not merely pointed to like the Old Testament where it's concealed, but then the Old Testament becomes fleshed out, literally, in the person and work of Jesus born in the flesh. 
So if you haven't started the Bible recap, it's a great time to join, right in this transition time where you can read the New Testament. And here's where you can look it. If you go to our website, faithtroy.org forward slash Bible recap, it'll give you all the instructions on how to sign up and how to do it. And then you can be on your way reading those 27 books of the New Testament. So today we're going to be looking at kind of a common perception and maybe you thought of it yourself as you're growing up in the Christian church and maybe some of your friends have said this to you and thought, and thought about it. Why in the Old Testament is God so full of judgment and wrath and condemnation? But in the New Testament, well, he's a loving and forgiving God. What's up with that? You ever thought of that? It's a fair question, I think, because in, in the Old Testament, God does authorize really his people, uh, to, to Israelites, to go to war, right? To, to fight, to take up the sword. But then in Jesus, in the New Testament, he says, whoever lives by the sword will die by us. You guys are with me this morning. That's great. In the Old Testament, God does seem to speak more, right? He seems to emphasize more about justice and retribution and his laws that are established in the New Testament, Right? He appears to focus on grace and love and mercy and forgiveness. So did God change in one testament to the other? Is he a God of just law and wrath in the Old Testament and not of love and forgiveness? Or is he God of just love and forgiveness in the New Testament not a God of law and wrath? Answer is important. It's a big fat what? No. It's a big fat? No. God does not change. Jesus would explain that to us in Matthew chapter 5. He kind of describes this unity from the scriptures this way. He says, don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I'm not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you until heaven and earth disappear. Not the smallest letter. He's referring to the Greek alphabet there, or, or the, even the Hebrew. It's a yud for Greek. It's just a really small kind of like dash dot. Right? And not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. There's a unity in the scriptures, both the old and the new. And then John chapter 5, verse 30, 39, he says, You study the scriptures, the ones who think you're so smart, right? And you diligently study them because you think that in them you're going to find eternal life. No, these are the scriptures that testify about me, a person, the God-man. Jesus himself. And so this, this law that was focused on in the Old Testament, well, it's a kind of a display of God's reaction to sin and the wrath that, sins bring, that sin brings. And it sets a foundation. It sets a foundation because the law does come first. The world had to be told, right, what God expects, more so what, what God demands. Right? Jesus says it, be perfect because your heavenly Father is Perfect. This is what's best. This is what he, he demands. And so when the world finally gets it and, he, and, the, and the, we understand, you know what? It's impossible. I'm never going to obey in thought, word, and deed, God, what you have said to do. I can't do it. Jesus comes and says, I can. I will. And I did. Fulfilling the law to perfection as our substitute so that God would see us as righteous. One of my favorite verses from the Bible is from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For God made him, that's Jesus, who had no sin to be what? Sin or a sin offering on our behalf so that we might become what? Yes, amen and amen. Hallelujah, that's what Jesus did. It's awesome. 
And so as Jesus makes this statement in Matthew 5 about the law and the prophets, right, that he fulfills them, so in your outline you can see he fulfills them in three ways. The first way is this, that he would fulfill all the requirements of the law to perfection both in thought and word and deed and in, in, in all of it. That there's no one who could accuse him of failing in his obligations to God. So these Old Testament laws, all the commands, all, all of it that you have read, right? These Old Testament prophets, they acted kind of as lawyers. They were bringing suit against their own people saying, look, this is the way you've disobeyed God's law. Well, then Jesus fulfills all those requirements, both in his thoughts and his behavior. The second way, the second way that I think is important, how he fulfilled the law and the prophets, well, by being Savior of the world. Because the Bible isn't primarily a book of, of just laws. It isn't primarily, you know, the acronym Bible, right? It's basic instructions before leaving earth. That's kind of, that's cute, that's great, but it's really not that. It's a book and a story about redemption. From the very beginning, when Adam and Eve sins, he said, Jesus said, I'm going to send a Messiah. I'm going to send a Savior. And he's going to crush that serpent's head. Trust me. That's my promise. And I'm sticking to it and I'm going to do it. And so he sends Jesus to fulfill all those prophecies that the Old Testament, that, that's what you read. Conservative number, are you ready for this? 300 messianic prophecies in the Old Testament that Jesus would fulfill. Awesome. Third way that Jesus would fulfill um, this law and the prophets described in the Old Testament is through patterns, through pictures, through types, you could say, or through symbols. Um, God's word teaches us through trees, arcs, lambs, priests, feasts, Sabbath. Types of people like Adam, like Jesus would come, he's the greater Adam, he's the greater Moses, he's the, uh, a priest in the order of Melchizedek, what a word, right? Did you read that, Melchizedek, in, in the, uh, the Old Testament, it's going to pop up in the New Testament, specifically in Hebrews, right? David, the king, is foreshadowed, uh, Jesus is foreshadowed in that prefigured Solomon, all of them. It's just great, you could see Jesus in the Old Testament concealed. And then on the evening of the first day of the week of the resurrection, right? Easter Sunday, Jesus appears bodily. And he says these words in Luke chapter 24. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me. In the law, the Torah, in the prophets, the Navaim, the Psalms, the Ketuvim. That's how they ordered the scriptures, the Tanakh. Remember I showed that to you a few sermons back. Jesus was this continuation. He's this completion of God's revelation in the Old Testament. Those three ways, and then here's what I want you to keep in mind as you read that Old Testament. Now you're reading the new. You're going to go back to the old. I know you will. Just a group, they're not just a group of people, these Israelites, who are just doing the same religion, right? They're also a nation with a, a unique system of government. So in our American lingo, we would say it this way, that Israel was both church and state. Israel is both church and state. And throughout the Bible and throughout history, God authorizes these earthly governments to bear the sword, to wage war, right? To administer justice. He uses the likes of Cyrus and Xerxes and Nebuchadnezzar as his servants in the Old Testament. Just as he would, you know, do Putin and Kim Jong-un, is that right? North Korea, all these, these leaders of the world today, right? Zelensky in the Ukraine, all of that. He orders, look at Romans 13, verse 1. 
Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except that which God has established. And then Paul writes a little bit more about this authority in verse 4. For he is God's servant to do you good. He, he is God's servant and agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. When ancient Israel then bore the sword, it was acting as God's agent to carry out his just judgments on individuals, on nations, in the same manner that God does that today with earthly governments. And so what do we find? That in this Old Testament, through Jesus and the New Testament, the religion of Israel then goes global. Because when Jesus said that you are right in saying I am a king, he's not referring to an earthly kingdom. He's referring to a spiritually kingdom. And so now his kingdom is not limited by ethnicity, by race, by, by geographical, geographical boundaries or political affiliation because he didn't set up an earthly kingdom. He set up a spiritual one and it doesn't bear the sword. That's work it's left for the governments. And, you know, as I was looking up uh, a quote from James Madison, he's the fourth president uh, of the United States, known as the father of the Constitution. He writes these words, if men were angels, no government would be necessary. But men are not angels or women, right? And the sword is God's measure or that last resort to limit evil. And Jesus' kingdom then spreads spiritually and provides forgiveness and reconciliation. So these Old Testament and the New Testament, they're linked because it's God's progressive revelation of himself through historical events, through people, through, through uh, relationships in history that we get to read about. And so ultimately Jesus comes and it helps us understand why justice is emphasized in the Old Testament and grace in the New Testament. Because without that kind of understanding, we'd say, yeah, it, it kind of does sound like God is, is different in the Old Testament and, and, and than the New Testament, that he changed. But that is not the case. Because when you read it, you read both Testaments, it's evident that God's laws and his wrath, when they're broken both in the old and the new, well, his forgiveness and his grace are revealed in both Testaments. We saw it all the time as you read that Old Testament, right? Israel sinned. They be began to worship idols. They willfully disobeyed God's word, and each time God would come and deliver them and save this remnant of people, right? That God would provide this sacrificial system for atonement, that's a big word. That's a big Christian word, atonement. It just means this. It turns away God's wrath. That's what it means. Atonement means turns away God's wrath. And so Jesus comes on the cross, and guess what? God's wrath is turned away for the sins of the whole world. My sins and all of yours and all throughout history, that's what Jesus came to do. And so you see this beautiful, beautiful kind of unity uh, in both Testaments. Even in the New Testament, we think, oh, is it all love and mercy for you? No, it's not, it's not void of God's chastising. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6 says it this way, that the Lord disciplines the one he loves. And he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. And the New Testament's not the only place uh, where we see God being forgiving and full of grace because the Old Testament says so many words that he's always compassionate and gracious and kind, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. We see that repeated so many times. We see God's heart. Ezekiel chapter 33 verse 11 says this, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they would turn. That means repent from their ways and live. That's God's heart. 
He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Nehemiah emphasizes, uh, emphasizes God's love too in, in nine, chapter 9, verse 10. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. You see this forgiveness foretold by the prophets. It's fulfilled in Jesus. So both the Old Testament and the New Testament, as St. Paul writes in 2 Timothy, they were given, us, given to us to make us wise unto salvation. Not just the New Testament but the Old Testament too, to make us wise unto salvation. We see that throughout the Bible and throughout history, who God is. He's a holy and righteous God who's judge over all, who disobey his word and refuse to worship. And so in the New Testament, Romans chapter 1, verse 18 says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. Is being, that means currently. We might not think it, we may not see it, but it's truth. God's wrath is being revealed that evildoers are going to be punished. It's going to happen. If it doesn't happen in this life, it's going to happen in the end because we have a just God against all godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth. And, and look at these hard words. These are Jesus' words in John chapter 3, verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Yes. What happens who rejects the Son? They'll not see life for what? For God's wrath remains on him. Hard words, are they not? John chapter 3, verse 18, whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Hard words. I want you to think about a person who doesn't believe in the name of Jesus. Sad, right? Sad. But what does Jesus say? See, while we might see one aspect of his nature revealed in one certain scripture verse, right? More than other aspects, God himself doesn't change. We know this because his word tells us that he's unchanging. I love these verses that come. I, 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 one, two, three, four, four places at least in the scriptures, right? The one who sits enthroned from of old with whom there is no what? But you are the what? Same. And your years will not come to an end. For I, the Lord, do not change. Jesus, the same yesterday, today, and forever. You hear that theme even as we sing and even as I pray, talking about the same God. Brothers and sisters in Jesus, we need to understand both of these characteristics of God. His wrath and His mercy, His law and His grace. We need both. Why? Because the truth of this statement says we are both sinner and saint at the same time. That's why. We both fall short of the glory of God as it says. And we do that on a daily basis. And yet we're also seen by God as his child. Righteous because of the blood of Jesus. And so we aren't always and only needing to hear, you're a sinner. You don't deserve to be God's child. You broke his commands. We don't always need to hear that. But at the same time, or this part, you're going to hell too if you stay in that situation, right? We don't always and only need to hear this. You're loved by God. He forgives you. You're fine, right? There's nothing that can separate. Jesus loves you no matter what. Both are true. And we need to hear both of them because that's what the Old Testament says, that's what the New Testament says, and that's what we get to read. I was helping move uh, somebody yesterday and uh, I was joking around uh, because somebody was saying, hey, we need a screwdriver. I, I need a flathead. 
And, and I, I, was, I was going here, I'm like, well, there, there's a screwdriver there, and it was a Phillips screwdriver, right? Flathead and Phillips screwdrivers are different. Even I know that, you know? Don't put it in my hand, but oh my goodness, you know? I start to get nervous because I'll destroy things. I just, I'm not a tool guy. But they're different, and they're used for different needs, right? For the different screws that are, that are given to us. That's what you need, right? That's what you need. Same way with uh, a knife, right? A kitchen knife's far different than what a surgeon would use to operate on somebody. Different tools, different needs. The tool of God's law is in the Scriptures, in the Bible. The tool of God's grace is also there for us. So before I close today, I just want to apply kind of these two tools. The tool of God's grace or it's gospel and the tool of God's law. First grace, God's tool of grace, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. One of my favorite passages is probably one of the ones that came in my Christian walk just at the right time by God. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This from your, not from yourselves. Both grace and faith are gifts of God, not by works, so no one can boast. So when we read that, it doesn't convict us of our sin or point us out, right? No, it reassures us of God's love, doesn't it? His amazing gift to us. For by grace, you've been saved through faith. Yes, that's what I need. At the same time, you hear the tools of God's law. Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2. Your sins have separated you from God. Do I need to call out what happened to you this week? What you thought? What you I don't know it, but God does, right? How did you fall short this week in thought, word, and deed? When you hear this verse, your sins have separated you from God. They have hidden His face from you. Yikes! When you read that, it convicts us, right? It warns us of sin's seriousness. We don't feel reassurance, but we feel worry and the consequences of that. The tools of law, the tools of grace, true characteristics of who God is, right? Justice and wrath, and yet full of forgiveness. Two different tools, two different purposes, and different times we need both. Make sense? So I'm pointing this out to you because it's, 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 it's a book that I think every seminarian um, needs to, ha- you know, it's just required reading. Required reading. It's by the first president of our Lutheran church body. His name was Dr. C.F.W. Walter, and it's called The Proper Distinction Between Law and Gospel. Law, the tool of law, and the tool of grace. 25 theses, evening lectures that were recorded, and I think I, I was required, I don't know about you, Joe, but we were required to read it from cover to cover. And not only was I required to read it from cover to cover, but I had to have certain highlighters, yellow and green and pink, So that I could say, oh, this is law, this is grace. And I forgot what the pink was for, but you know, (laughs) cover to cover, 25 theses. Thank God I had Bosnian Turkish coffee to get me through this. But yet it still was really good reading. Much of it. And so I'm going to share one thesis from you that I think is helpful for today. And it will read, I'll read it to you from thesis number eight. That's the Roman numeral right there, right? That's an eight. Anyway, you are not rightly distinguishing law and gospel in the word of God if you preach the law to those who are already in terror on account of their sins or the gospel to those who are living securely in their sins. And I apologize for this thing. It's just keeping back and forth. So thanks up there to the tech booth to make me sound good and not bug everybody. 
I move around, I guess, too much. Anyway, that, that's the thesis, right? And so how do we just look at that for a moment? So there's a distraught believer. There's a believer who, who uh, is feeling sorry, right? Um, who feels God's mad at her maybe for her past sin or having an abortion, for having an abortion. What should she hear, the tool of law or the tool of grace? Of course, the tool of grace, right? Reminding her of God's forgiveness. And then you have a believer who knows that they have a habit of sin but doesn't think it's a big deal and doesn't intend to stop doing it, right? It's the perfect time to put what tool in, in before them, the tool of law or the tool of grace? Law, well done, well done. Right, the gospel is for people or are troubled because of their sin and they need assurance of their salvation and the law, well, I'll, I'll give you this. Here, here's here's a, a quote. I, I like it. Uh, I don't know where I found it, but it's good. It says, one comforts the troubled and one troubles the comfortable. That was so good. One comforts the troubled. That's grace. One troubles the comfortable. That's law. Loss for people who are secure in their sin and think, that, hey, as long as uh, you know, they say they have faith, it doesn't matter what they do. No, then they need to hear something else. Then they hear the law of God. And we have this ongoing tension because we're sinner and saint until God calls us home, right? Or until He comes again that we need to hear both because we are baptized children of God, redeemed by the blood of Jesus, and we need reminders of sin's seriousness and we need reminders of the mercy of God. And I praise God that we're a church that teaches both and has that awesome kind of dynamic where we, you can just hear both and you're going to end always with the tool of God's grace, the gospel. When we're distraught over our sin, right? When we do know we don't deserve heaven, but instead condemnation, we get to receive the gospel. That's what you get to receive today. It's as simple as it is. That's all I have for you today. The tool of God's law, the tool of God's grace. I'm kind of done. <laughs> that's how I ended. Yeah, that's how I'm just going to end it. Okay. Then I'm going to point you to something that we get to receive. And in the dynamic in Scripture, I'm going to read from 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, and I'm going to also include 1 John chapter 2, the first verse, um, because it's in Scripture all everywhere. It's in Scripture, and I love it when they come really close together, the law and then the gospel. So I want you to hear it. Then you're going to take some moments to just kind of be with God and, and just share uh, share your heart with him, and then you're going to receive his forgiveness, okay? Listen to 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Is that a law comment or a grace comment? It's law. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. I mean, you're lying if you're not a sinner, right? Who doesn't sin? And then it says... Right in the next sentence, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Right there, law, gospel, right for you. Would you take some moments right now, speak to God in the quietness of your hearts and minds and say, God, this is how I know I've fallen short. And if nothing comes to you, then you can just repeat that scripture. <laughs> I'm a sinner, God, I know it. Nothing's coming to mind right now, but... Give me a few seconds, and I need you. Please forgive me for, 
I want you to hear from 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. If anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning. Remember, turning away God's wrath. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. And so I can stand before you with confidence saying, if you confess your sins to God, guess what? He forgives them and remembers them no more in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We can say amen and amen.